Welcome to Cardio Radio, a podcast of the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative, also known as Cardio. This is Dr. Michael Constant from the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and I serve as the principal investigator for Cardio, a statewide network of Ohio's seven medical schools. Cardio is funded by the Ohio Department of Medicaid and shares best practices to improve cardiovascular health, diabetes outcomes, and to eliminate health disparities in Ohio's Medicaid population. The opinions and recommendations in this podcast are those of the presenters and not those of Cardio and its sponsors, and are not intended to be a substitute for medical advice. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello, I am Dr. Susan Davis, Associate Professor of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. I am a family physician and geriatrician, and interim podcast lead for Cardio's Team Best Practices. In this podcast, we will discuss supplement use. We will review complications of commonly used supplements, share tips on finding safety and efficacy information on these products, and provide guidance on how to talk to your patients about supplement use. With me today are Dr. Amber Healy and Dr. Bree Meinzer. Dr. Healy is an associate clinical professor at Ohio University's Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine and an internist fellowship trained in diabetology. Dr. Meinzer is a managed care clinical pharmacist at the University of Toledo Medical Center. Both are members of Cardio's Team Best Practices. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks for having us. We're happy to be here. Dr. Healy, we know that our patients are using supplements. We see it in the media. We see it in the world around us. Why should this be a concern for primary care providers in Ohio? Why is this an important topic? The use of dietary supplements has been increasingly popular and prevalent in the U.S., more so than other countries. Currently, over half of U.S. adults take supplements, including over 70% of adults age 65 and older. In 2021, people in the U.S. spent an estimated $50 billion on dietary supplements. Yet their safety is often unknown, resulting in 23,000 emergency department visits and 2,000 hospitalizations per year. I see supplement use or am asked about potential supplement use regularly for diabetes. Patients tend to see things on the internet or TV that say that supplements supposedly help with insulin resistance or they have a friend or family member that tried something and it allegedly helped their blood sugar or helped them with weight loss. There are a lot of proprietary blends out there, but there tend to be some common ingredients and few studies that have shown some benefit to glucose control. Chromium, alpha-lipoic acid, and magnesium are a few of these commonly marketed for diabetes. Interesting. Dr. Meinzer, what do you think about supplement use? While many patients utilize supplements for health promotion as they may be seen as safer and natural compared to traditional pharmacologic agents, the truth is they're not regulated nearly as closely as prescriptions or over-the-counter agents. The Food and Drug Administration oversees both dietary supplements and medications, yet unlike medications, manufacturers do not need to register or attain approval prior to marketing supplements, and there's no requirement for proof of efficacy or even safety for those agents introduced prior to October of 1994. While most supplements may fall into that category, any new supplement after October of 1994 must provide information to show that the supplement will be reasonably expected to be safe. 
The Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994 requires manufacturers to follow good manufacturing practices, which help assure the composition, purity, and strength of ingredients and products. Manufacturers are supposed to be responsible for assuring their products contain no unsafe ingredients, yet there are no requirements for products to be proven safe or effective. The FDA may ban or remove products from the market, but only after proving a product poses a significant or unreasonable risk of illness or injury. Now that we understand the severity of the issue, Dr. Meinzer, how do you recommend providers start a conversation about supplements with their patients? Great question. The first step is to identify whether their patients are taking these supplements. The best way to do this is to gather an up-to-date and accurate list of all products the patient is taking. I do think patients don't always view supplements as medications and may forget to mention them during an appointment unless explicitly asked about them. Therefore, it is important to educate any staff collecting this information to ask about any vitamins or supplements that the patient may be taking. This can be accomplished using open-ended questions and even having patients physically bring in all products being used to utilize both subjective and objective information. I see. So, Dr. Meinzer, once a clinician identifies that their patient with diabetes is taking a supplement, what's the best way to begin the discussion with them? Because supplements are not held to the same efficacy and safety standards as other medications, providers should have individualized conversations with patients about the safety and efficacy of these products. Shared clinical decisions should include evidence-based resources to provide accurate advice on dietary supplementation. If a patient and provider decide to move forward with supplement usage, a provider should ensure that the patient is able to secure the supplement from verified sources. One way is through United States Pharmacopeia or USP certification. Manufacturers can voluntarily submit the product label and product to be verified by USP. USP then certifies that a supplement contains the ingredients listed on the label in the labeled potency and amounts. It also ensures it does not contain harmful levels of certain contaminants and has been manufactured in a safe, well-documented, and well-controlled process. That's interesting. Dr. Healy, being that supplements aren't as well studied, what is the best place for a clinician to find information to facilitate an individualized conversation with a patient? Great question. It can be difficult to find concrete evidence about safety and efficacy of supplements, as studies may be lacking, particularly in pregnancy and children. However, some great resources are available. The NIH, or National Institutes of Health, has an Herbs at a Glance page with supplements in alphabetical order. There's also an Office of Dietary Supplements webpage on their site that has supplement fact sheets indexed. Both webpages provide information that has been discovered in clinical trials. Research is often lacking on supplements, but if there has been a study, they include a link. Another good resource is a book published by the American Diabetes Association called Complementary Health and Diabetes, A Focus on Supplements. Wow, that's really helpful. So I know the two of you have agreed to model a patient interaction. 
And I understand, Dr. Healy, uh, you're going to play the clinician, and Dr. Meinzer, you'll play the patient. Let me present a case. Let's say patient SJ is a 35-year-old female who has a medical history of type 2 diabetes and hypothyroidism. She is currently taking metformin, dulaglutide, and levothyroxine. At your appointment, it's identified that she has started taking cinnamon a few months ago. Are you ready to get started? Sure. Yep. Hi, SJ. I noticed you started taking cinnamon. Yeah, I saw it on an advertisement that it could help with my diabetes control. I'd really like to get off of some of these medications I'm on, and I was hoping it would help me do so. Okay. Well, taking a look at the National Institutes of Health website for complementary and alternative medicines, herbs at a glance, there seems to be limited evidence that cinnamon for diabetes improves control. There were a few studies that had shown glucose lowering but not lowering of the hemoglobin A1c. Half of the studies are described as being of poor quality, and the type of cinnamon studied isn't mentioned in many of them. And the type of cinnamon does matter. Supplements like this are not as effective at lowering blood sugar as medications that have been approved by the FDA. Where do you purchase your cinnamon? Maybe after talking, I won't continue the cinnamon if it's really not going to help that much. I usually do buy it online. Is that okay? It seems to be less expensive online. It may be okay if it's USP certified. Do you notice if it's USP certified on the bottle? No, I, I'm not familiar with USP. Where would I find that? USP stands for United States Pharmacopeia. When a supplement has a USP approval notation on the bottle, it means that the makers of the supplement submitted the product label and the product to be verified by them is certified to be the ingredient in the list. So it makes sure that you're getting the supplement that it says you're getting and it also makes sure that the potency and the amounts that are listed are accurate. It also ensures that it doesn't contain harmful levels of certain contaminants. It has been manufactured in a safe, well-documented, and well-controlled process. However, it does not ensure that the product is safe or efficacious. It is usually found right on the front of the bottle. I'll have to take a look next time. I was also looking at using other things uh, to help with my diabetes as well. I came across chromium and berberine. Would those help me? According to a book called Complementary Health and Diabetes, a focus on supplements, there are some safety concerns with some of those. Too much chromium can be dangerous or harmful, causing renal toxicity or kidney problems in some of its forms. So you need to be careful about taking a chromium supplement. As for berberine, it is not listed on either of these particular sources, and there's not strong evidence that it does affect glucose control, so the, we still don't know a whole lot about how effective and helpful it'll be for your diabetes. Thank you for modeling that interaction. So it sounds like emphasizing that supplements have questionable safety and have not been proven as effective as medication is an important point, as well as mentioning the quality of the supplement being taken. That's correct. We also know that some supplements have been considered unsafe or have many interactions with drugs the patients are taking. Biotin is known for interfering with absorption of levothyroxine and interferes with numerous lab results, resulting in erroneous, potentially dangerous results. However, patients like to take it for hair and nail growth, which it really hasn't been proven for. 
Also, supplements like bitter orange and licorice can raise blood pressure and should be avoided in patients with hypertension. Also, in an effort to boost immunity, some patients have started taking colloidal silver, which is not indicated for oral consumption. While silver is used topically to promote healing, orally it can cause serious side effects and even turn a person's skin blue. These are some of the more well-known supplements. So, Dr. Healy, what do you do if a patient asks about something that you're unfamiliar with? If I feel like I have time during the appointment... I might look up the ingredients of a proprietary blend. Some patients will bring the bottle in and you can look at the back. And I'll share what I know about some of the ingredients because I mentioned earlier, some of these are more common. But these other web pages that we've been talking about, the Herbs at a Glance page, I might take a look if there's anything there to see if there's anything known about it. But it's fair to tell the patient you need to research it and get back to them or say there isn't enough evidence and you worry about unknown safety of the supplements. Another approach would be to empower the patient to investigate by providing credible resources and discussing it together at a later appointment. When a patient decides that they want to take a supplement, though, I will direct them to a local pharmacist to help them in finding a USP-certified supplier. Pharmacists are accessible, and we often get questions about supplements. We can provide products that are considered higher quality when they come from a certified provider. Pharmacists are also in a position to check for drug interactions of supplements with the medications a patient currently takes. Like Dr. Healy mentioned, we do not have all the information on supplements, and this is also true in regards to drug interactions. However, there are some studies to show how certain supplements interact with prescription medications, and pharmacists can help patients navigate that. Great advice. We're coming to the end of our time, Dr. Healy and Dr. Meinzer. I'd like to share with you some of the takeaways I got from this conversation. First, supplement use is quite prevalent among our patients with diabetes, and primary care physicians need to be comfortable discussing supplements with patients. Secondly, there are easily accessible resources, such as the National Institute of Health Herb at a Glance page and the Office of Dietary Supplements webpage, which we will post with the podcast description. Also, the American Diabetes Association Complementary Health and Diabetes, a focus on supplements book. These are great resources for clinicians. Lastly, it's important to share with our patients that efficacy and safety is not proven in supplements and that pharmacists can be a terrific resource in looking for supplement and medication interaction information. Thank you for helping share all this information today. I really appreciate both of you being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And a special thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to Cardio Radio. This concludes today's podcast. Be sure to visit cardio.org to learn more about the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative.